1: What I love about editing is that you get to dip into different people's voices as an editor and kind of help them craft their vision. You know, if you wanted to be your own creative voice, you'd have to be a director. Like You shouldn't be an editor,
2: I think.
0: Welcome back to Working. I'm your host, Isaac Butler.
2: And I'm your other host, Karen Hahn.
0: Hey, Karen, it's been a minute. How are things going out there in L.A.?
2: I know. It's been a while since we recorded together, uh, but things are going all right. You know, uh, normal L.A. stuff.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. Are you aligning your chakras and finding a guru?
2: Yeah, I'm getting really into
0: crystals. Amazing. Uh, So whose voice was that we heard at the top of the show?
2: Uh, So that was Stacey Moon, an incredible editor who most recently worked on the Nathan Fielder show, The Rehearsal, and the film Honk for Jesus Save Your Soul.
0: It's been a while since we've had an editor as our guest on the show, I think. So what, what interested you in speaking to her particularly?
2: Well, I'm just a huge fan of her work. She's also worked on shows like I Think You Should Leave with Tim Robinson, which is one of my favorite things to come out of Netflix ever. Um, she's also worked on Portlandia. She worked on The Chair, Moonbase 8, and the list just goes on and on and on.
0: Right. And you actually talk a little bit about, I think you should leave uh, Mm -hmm. uh, in the episode and talk about probably the show's most famous sketch, the (laughs) hot dog man sketch. But in case our listeners don't know who hot dog man is or what that sketch is, could you just explain it for them?
2: Yeah. um, So you've probably I'm going to guess that even if you haven't seen the show, you've seen the meme, which features Tim Robinson dressed in a hot dog costume being like, we're all trying to find the guy that did it. And the context is that he's just crashed a hot dog shaped car into a shop and is trying to deny culpability despite being dressed like this.
0: Amazing. And are there any uh, Slate Plus goodies this week?
2: Yeah. So Stacey and I talk about the fact that she actually designed the little intertitles for I Think You Should Leave, as well as the value of having kind of a bigger skill set than you might necessarily think you need for your job, as well as like a bigger breadth of experience.
0: Well, that sounds great. And if you're a Slate Plus subscriber, that bonus segment will be waiting for you at the end of this week's episode. If you are not a Slate Plus subscriber, well, here is the moment where I am going to try to convince you to become one. Slate Plus subscribers, they get all sorts of goodies. They get bonus segments like the one Karen just talked about. They get full access behind the paywall on the Mothership site, and you get to go to bed at night knowing that you've done something to support what we do right here on Working. Go to slate.com slash working today to sign up. Now let's listen in to Karen's conversation with editor Stacey Moon.
2: Hi, Stacey. Thank you so, so much for coming on Working. Thanks so much for having me. There are a couple things that you've worked on that I think are very Uh, in the discourse right now, the first one being you worked on the show, the Nathan Fielder show, The Rehearsal, and then you also worked on the uh, film Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul. Uh, And I wanted to start talking about The Rehearsal, which for anyone who hasn't been watching the show, the premise of the show is like, Nathan Fielder sets up these environments in which people can rehearse upcoming moments in their life. And you worked on one of the episodes called Apocalypto. And I wanted to ask, working on a show like this, seems like kind of a unique challenge because it's almost more like a reality show or a documentary in some sense. How does editing an episode start? Like where in the process do you come in and what kind of discussion (laughs) do you have jumping into it?
1: Yeah, it's like an unscripted show where they just have hours and hours and hours of footage. Um, I will say, and you can sort of tell in the way the show is constructed that the producers, the writers, Eric Noder, Nicola and Carrie Kemper and Nathan, they, uh, take great care to react in real time to like what's happening and the people they cast and seeing like what kind of things they might draw out of like the real, very real people that they cast. And so Mm -hmm. they're kind of rewriting the story and the situations as uh, things are happening. And so, um, yeah. And by the time they've shot some of these scenes, we, we do get like outlines of stuff as like our quote-unquote scripts Mm -hmm. that say, well, these are sort of like the beats of our story that we want to try out in the first edit. And so we'll just kind of go off that. But also, you know, as an editor, you just kind of have to watch everything, you know, whenever Nathan's standing there with a person, could be like an hour of footage, and you just kind of uh, have to take good notes. And if anything else happens that's interesting, that they didn't anticipate, which is like most of the show, you mm-hmm. kind of like try to craft a different version of what they were, you know, from what they were thinking um, to be like, well, you know, I know this scene was supposed to be about this, but, you know, this is more interesting. Or maybe this is like the thing we want to latch on And uh, the first cut is very... Um, a little more difficult i would say than like most shows because you're not yeah. going off of a script where you're like well this happens this happens this happens right. and you can sort of craft around that and it's uh in scripted editing it's more about how do you best express a scene that you already n- sort of have an idea of what's happening to these characters whereas with Nathan's show it's like well what's the most interesting idea or theme or like mm-hmm. What's the weirdest thing that is happening with this real person that's, like, a fascinating, like, hu- very human moment or character trait? And we kind of, like, that's the starting point.
2: Yeah. Um, so I have, a, I guess, a two-part question following up on that. The first is, how much footage did you actually have to go through for your episode? And mm-hmm. the second part being, it almost sounds like in that sense you have a little more freedom over crafting the episode. Because if you, as an editor, spot something that you think would really change a scene it's kind of up to you to be able to massage the narrative into a sort of different shape than the outline might necessarily suggest. Is that right?
1: Yeah, you know, like, this the show really taught me to think more, like, in terms of writing. It, it really felt like writing more so than, like, a lot of shows where you kind of have to think really, really hard about how it connects to the entire scope of the episode, the show Um, Mm -hmm. And everything that, you know, I did episode five, so there are four episodes prior to this. And and sort of like letting that kind of play into, you know, the scenes that I have in my episode. It's like, oh, well, you know, he did something like the last episode that might be interesting to see play out here in a certain way, etc. How much footage we had to go through? We went through a lot of footage. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the house, it was like 24, seven Robocams, 16 angles. Wow. Uh, (laughs) And our assistant editors were so, so helpful in that endeavor of just like, we had to organize a lot of that into like, kind of like character beats or story beats almost where it's Mm -hmm. like, okay, it's 24, seven hours and hours of footage. I don't, I don't think they ran the cameras at night when they're sleeping, obviously, right. so not, like, fully that. But, like, whenever people were doing stuff in the house, it's like, okay, well, we need to categorize, like, beats, that would be helpful to our story. Is like, mm-hmm. okay, where are moments with Nathan and Angela, like, having a conversation? Or, like, where are moments where that might be interesting that, that are, like, moments of tension between the two? Um, and those are things that we would categorize separately into, like, different mm-hmm. sequences,
2: yeah. And I was curious how much, if at all, you talk to the editors of the other episodes and how, I guess, divided the work is or how involved you are in other episodes and kind of mm-hmm. mapping out what has to be a coherent arc over the course of the season, even though it's different people working on each one.
1: Yeah, um, definitely. We're, we're talking to each other for sure about like the series as a whole. Um, and this show, it was fairly easy to have like one editor do like different episodes and keep it mm-hmm. kind of isolated in that way, instead of having multiple editors like um, jump into each episode. Mm-hmm. And our process was that we would assemble an editor's cut; it's called the first cut, and you know, show it to Nathan. And uh, Nathan would come in, work on the ed- episode with each editor, and mm-hmm. then we'd screen the episodes with everyone um mm-hmm. the other two editors and Eric Noter Nicola who is uh one of the writing producers who is here uh in the edit with us and then we would all discuss the episode and like give feedback um as much as we can about what we mm-hmm. think is working what's feeling weird what's feeling oh that feels kind of like disingenuous or fake maybe or like maybe this feels too engineered or something like mm-hmm. so we did have that problem sometimes where people would say real things and we would think well that's like <laughs> that feels like not a real person would say that <laughs> and, and it'd be like no it's uh that's actually what they said and we yeah. fight very hard in the edit to like um make sure everything had that authenticity i guess mm-hmm. um and then usually you know nathan being is like smart and like astute as he is about everything (laughs) he uh he would be able to kind of keep track in his head um like the bigger picture details of what works Mm -hmm. in each episode and i think he was kind of like the linchpin of like seeing that the whole vision of it like worked all together and he'd be kind of like the guiding light of like when we're just kind of in the weeds of the footage you know going is this moment interesting does this like beat of their conversation have anything to do with anything. And I think, like, <laughs> Nathan and Eric were really good about being able to say yes or no to things mm-hmm. that we would, like, find and come up with. Yeah.
2: Speaking of, like, being able to give feedback about an episode, I'm curious what your philosophy is towards editing in that sense, or, like, your sense of ownership towards editing. Because um, for my book on Bung Joon-ho, I talked to his editor, Yang Jun mo about yeah. uh, working with him. And a lot of what he was saying was sort of like making sure that what he does ultimately serves the director's vision. Mm -hmm. And I wonder how much of a push and pull there is there for you in terms of on paper, yeah, that is kind of the role. Like you are crafting a story to fit what the director thinks, but at the same time, it is still a creative field. You are still giving input on this, if that makes sense. Like it's still something that you have some responsibility or shepherding for.
1: Yeah, I think... um what I love about editing is that you get to dip into different people's voices as an editor mm-hmm. and kind of help them, you know, craft their vision and like bring that to fruition in the way that they see the world. Um and I think Yang Jing Mo is totally on the spot that,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, as an editor, you're always serving the vision of the director. That's sort you know, if you wanted to be your own creative voice you'd have to be a director like you shouldn't be Mm -hmm. an editor I think Um, (laughs) (laughs) like that said I you know obviously I take uh, a lot of ownership and pride in in my work and uh, bringing able to bring ideas that kind of fit within the language and the vision and the vernacular that uh, the director has and wants um Mm -hmm. and that said i think my relationship with the director is totally different depending on who it is it's like you you kind of have to you know listen very carefully and very hard especially if it's a new relationship and try to see where you guys fit into each other as working partners um and see kind of what works best to get the best thing for the film or the, Mm -hmm, or the show. mm Um, and you kind of have to like bring some amount of humility i think um, mm-hmm. to be able to uh, do that well and uh, you know and it 's something i i 'm developing still as like someone who 's only been editing for you know less than a decade or whatever and you, that's uh,
2: <laughs> lo- that 's still a long time you can 't say only with that
1: <laughs> i, I 'm very i 'm very lucky i 'm very lucky um in the in the short amount of time to have worked with so many different people and get like a taste of of everyone 's different uh, sensibilities. And I, I think I learned a lot from that, because even in comedy, it's like no two person has the same sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And the thing the the way you put together the joke for the last person might be completely not the right way uh, for the next person you work with. So you kind of uh, learn to adapt to that, I think. It, for instance, uh, with Tim Robinson on I Think You Should Leave, yeah. that was so fun for me because it was a first season show. And when uh, we did the first season, it was like, th- you know, they were still developing their sensibility as like filmmakers, I think, specifically. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they have a, a very deep and intuitive understanding of their comedy. And I think translating that um, to sketch comedy was, like, so fun for me to, like, have a bigger hand in. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a sketch comedy show where the editors pick the music. The editors, like... Really? Yeah. And so, you know, oftentimes in, like, sketch comedy, because it's, like, a tighter budget, they usually don't have, like, a, a composer and oftentimes it, it's it, it only makes sense, though, that the editors choose the music in sketch comedy because so much of it is musical and like has to do with like the timing and the mm-hmm. whatever genre they're spoofing sometimes or like it, it, it all goes together with the editing. So I actually very much enjoy like picking the music and stuff uh, for yeah. that stuff.
2: I'm, I'm curious, Um, since you mentioned like being able to sort of be in the process of like figure out what the tone or voice of I think you should leave was like is there a particular sketch that stands out in your mind as like one where you're like (laughs) oh this kind of cracked it or like this one I can remember like sort of figuring out what it's supposed to look like
1: I mean the hot dog one (laughs) is like
2: yeah
0: someone drove a
3: hot dog shaped car through the window driver's gone (laughs) somebody call the cops we need to find that driver they could have killed someone Whose car is this?
0: Yeah, come on. Whoever did this, just confess. We promise we won't be mad. What? Well, close our eyes, just take your car and
1: get out of here. Sir, that's clearly your car. Wrong. In some ways, the setup of it is very classic, like something you might see on SNL, Mm -hmm. the way it's set up and stuff. But I think it kind of like really goes off the rails in terms of, you know, these sketches were written to be very long. Um, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and part of sometimes part of the joke is how long it is. And so we, yeah. we spent a lot of time <laughs> going back and forth about like, well, how long should it be without it mm-hmm. becoming like the most absolute annoying thing in the world <laughs> versus how long can we be or like repeat a certain phrase or a joke or come yeah. back to a thing and have that be funny how many times he says something. Yeah. And I think the hot dog sketch was great in that he has this like extremely long monologue at the end that mm-hmm. kinda, <laughs> while he's like stealing suits from the sh- the shop.
0: <laughs> We've been sitting here talking all day and you all never bothered to learn my name. <laughs> We're so buried in our phones. Instead of giving someone a real smile, we send an emoji. And I I think
1: the music choice, too, was something that really clicked in to, you know, a very common moment you see in that show where the character that's being bad has like some (laughs) heartfelt speech for some whatever god awful reason yeah and you always have to like score that with like the most sincere heartfelt like piano music (laughs) and it's for whatever reason it happens to work
2: yeah
0: we'll be back with more of karen's conversation with stacy moon after this Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. A M slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hey listeners, just got two quick things I want to talk to you about. The first is that if you're enjoying the show and haven't subscribed yet, why don't you go ahead and hit the subscribe button so that you will never miss an episode. And if you like the show and you've already subscribed, maybe leave us a good review wherever you get your podcasts. Also, we would really love to hear from you, whether there's a kind of guest you want us to talk about or a question that you have about creativity, a problem you're facing, something really awesome you've done that you want to brag about, any anything like that. We'd love to hear it. You can email us at working at slate.com or call us and leave a voicemail at 304 933 WORK. All right, let's return to Karen's conversation with Stacy Moon.
2: Another thing I want to talk about, editing is obviously it's so, so crucial to, I guess, both of these shows that we've been talking about, the rehearsal and I think you should leave because the edit sell so much of I guess the awkwardness of these shows and the awkwardness of what's supposed to be funny how would you say like or are there any other examples I guess of like moments that you think really came together in the edit or if things in general that you think of that help sell these kind of comedic moments
1: yeah, well, it's interesting because I think uh, on Tim's show, it's very different from how the awkwardness lands in Nathan's show. Yeah. Um, in Tim's show, because it's like a scripted sketch comedy, a lot of it is like, uh, usually you can rely on leaning into the timing that Tim gives you for mm-hmm. his cadence and the way he's acting. Mm-hmm. Uh, oftentimes, you know, he's playing against everyone else and you can really rely on him to bring the awkwardness. Um, that said, I think sometimes as editors in the footage, you find moments where you're like, oh, well, maybe if like this moment held between them longer or like Mm -hmm. we stretched out this moment, um... A little bit more between them and that's like that comes completely from intuition and your sense of humor that can't be taught I think but you kind of like are as you do it more identify moments where like well let's stretch this beat out of what he just said like a little bit longer have like mm-hmm. a moment of silence loop the dead air a little bit <laughs> <laughs> go around the, the table and see how everyone's reacting. Like, a classic moment of that is probably the hot dog sketch again of where yeah. <laughs> Tim, it, camera pans over, you see Tim in the costume for the first time, and then everyone's <laughs> just staring at him for, like, yeah. the longest moment. And, you know, that's something that, you know, maybe it played out a little bit quicker and more naturally, mm-hmm. like, in real time, but you do yeah. want to, like, go around and see everyone's faces. Um, that's a classic example of a comedy beat, I guess, that you make mm-hmm. in the edit. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas, like, in Nathan's The Rehearsal, um, you know, he he stresses a lot on just letting things play the way they were shot. And I think part of that is that we don't want it to seem edited. Mm-hmm. That's very important to selling the reality of things. Is like, it has to be in real time. So he often hates when we edit the pace within a scene to fit something, it's almost never done except to like, you know, unless we're really like aching for a shorter runtime or something, we, we almost don't do it and try to hide it as much as possible. Um, For instance, the conversation between Nathan and Angela at the dinner table where she brings up Apocalypto. Yeah. um, That was pretty much in real time like yeah. I can't say that I did too much to the pacing of that conversation as an editor to, to net the awkwardness of that conversation yeah. it literally <laughs> was I could not believe I fell out of my chair when she first said that
0: What's your favorite movie?
3: I love the movie Apocalypto <laughs> Have you seen it? Yeah I think Mel Gibson makes really good movies
0: Oh um, yeah it's a classic
3: Yeah He's one of my favorite directors.
0: Right, right.
3: I like his camera technique where he floats.
0: He's a little, um, I think he just said, like, bad
2: stuff about Jews. And mm.
1: And it just, like, was like, well, we have to keep that, even though, like, he he really was just trying to change the conversation. That's not, (laughs) like, a moment he scripted or anything, like... Yeah, so, in that example, and, like, a lot of examples in the rehearsal, it's, like, we don't try to, like, stitch together line by line, like, conversations that are weird. It's just, like, we find the moments that are weird. Nathan's so good about crafting these moments in real time as Mm -hmm. a person on camera to, like, push a conversation certain ways and nudge it in directions. Um, And you kind of, like, lean more into that, I think, on that show. So... Yeah, it was interesting because I learned that from, like, talking to Nathan at the beginning of the process. He was like, don't, you know, he hates cutting between two camera angles where, like, oh, it was, like, at a wider shot before. Why are we suddenly tight on this Yeah, uh, when we come back to him? It's like, we should have, like either seen it zoom in or like you know we don't want to feel that time jump where it's like oh this was obviously like a jump in time um and those were like some of the more like technical rules that we talked about more in terms of like preserving the realness being as important as like awkward moments
2: the apocalyptic thing again like insane (laughs) (laughs) And then, then, like, the ending with Miriam, like, all of these things are still so, like, shocking to me. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Even though it's been, like, a month since I watched. You
1: know, that said, like, sometimes in the editing, we obviously, like, have to, you know, craft a story so we're not, like, just leaning into every genuine moment, otherwise it'd be super Mm -hmm. boring, you know? So, like, there are times where we'll just, like, insert ourselves. And I think you see that, like, if you go back and watch it, um... You see where we, we've like stitched something together or like mm-hmm. and I think the, the show is very uh, um open about this is you should suspect any time there's VO. Like mm-hmm, he's such an unreliable mm-hmm. narrator. <laughs> like Yeah. You you should like pick out those spots where he's uh you know, telling the story of what happened and then it cuts to something happening, you know?
2: Yeah. Those
1: are always like suspect. <laughs> Yeah, and hopefully we, you know, like we try to do it in a way where it's like convincing enough, like that it's in, within the tropes of reality television or like a documentary where you know you just kind of take for granted what the yeah. VO is saying and is telling you as truth. <laughs> yeah, um, and so you know, I think we utilize that a lot in that show of like selling an idea or selling that something is happening when it's not, or something is happening when, or someone feels a certain way when you know maybe they're not or maybe Mm -hmm. you know you don't know Um, yeah for real like the full context of things and i think obviously the show's a commentary on that in
2: a big way so let's talk about the movie you just worked on uh honk for jesus save your soul can you talk about the difference between editing a movie and editing a tv show
1: yeah, I, I think I, I because I was from TV, I, mm-hmm. I definitely had a little bit of an insecurity going into like this big film. Um, and I kind of tried a lot of different stuff before I would show it to them and kind of kept my mind open, though. And, you know, part of what's exciting about like a film is that it's not beholden to commercial interests Mm -hmm. (laughs) as much. I mean, it still is, obviously, (laughs) um, when you have to make the money back in a big way. But um, it's a little more looser where you don't have a network breathing down your neck about stuff. And it's not as, like, a controlled environment where it went through so many different, like, hands and drafts Mm -hmm, and, like, mm -hmm. green lighting processes to get there. And you kind of want to, like... The, the best thing to do for the film is to trust the director and trust the vision of it and know that it's not beholden to any other language other than uh, what the director feels and wants to develop and Adama's you know she was like a first time uh feature director she's mm-hmm. directed shorts before and so it was a really fun process to kind of like figure out. The things that worked for her and her sensibility as like a Mm -hmm. filmmaker of like, well, how long do we want to like stay on this uh, line or like how long do we want to hold on this person? And like, what does that mean for like the bigger picture of the film?
2: So yeah, the process is uh, different. Yeah, for sure. Um, and you also worked with another editor, uh, Ali Greer, on that film. What is the collaborative editing process like? Yeah, um, so that uh, was a, a
1: unique situation where she started out the editor on it, and I came on board because her oh, okay. schedule kind of yeah, with COVID and stuff, it like yeah. I think her schedule got kind of like jumbled. So I ended up just taking over the film. So it was a little less of like a collaborative thing, but you know, I, what we would do. Um, was like send her cuts of the film as we uh, mm-hmm. kind of like made it and got her input on it because she has such a great eye for things and she's just one of those people who could watch something once and like have a million thoughts about like everything mm-hmm. and be like, and you'd be like, how did you even catch that? And <laughs> you know, she just won an Emmy, by the way, for Barry. Yeah, oh, wow. she's amazing. Um, But, yeah, so that process was collaborative in that we we wanted to keep her in the loop and, like, have her in the conversation because we valued her opinion and voice um, in in the room. So we would send her cuts every now and then to be like, well, what do you think of how we rearrange this? And she had some great ideas about, like, rearranging scenes and stuff. So, yeah. yeah.
2: Um, I also think editing is such a funny craft because I feel like when it's done really, really well, you don't really think about it. But then when Mm -hmm. it's done badly, like... (laughs) <laughs> I think about that clip of like, <laughs> it's like taken two or something where Liam Neeson's trying to jump over a yes, fence, and I've it's like 40 that. cuts
1: to like, it's to amazing. Get it
3: over there.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I very much stand by the philosophy that like, if you're doing a good job as an editor, you're not drawing attention to yourself. You're yeah drawing the audience into the characters and the story. And, um, you know, the moment you start doing something fancy with the edit that feels like it's more about, look how fancy the editing is, that is fraught, I think. You have to really think it through and know what what it gives to the film itself. Um, on the flip side of that, if it's bad editing, it can really be a number of things, I think, going on and is more subtextually revealing of what's happening with <laughs> what the shoot was (laughs) in a way you know kind of like you watch the room and it's all about the subtext (laughs) of what the hell happened on that film set you know yeah yeah um (laughs) and yeah sometimes it can't be helped as an Mm -hmm. editor you just have to own that you you've committed to something that yeah where the footage turned out to be a little dicey and you just do your best to get through it (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um And it's an unfortunate position where oftentimes the editor is the first person blamed and fired.
2: (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Uh, Yeah. I I do think, you know, I, I I think on some of the editors, I I truly, truly admire and think well of, and I, I'm certain that like some of them have been fired, you know, from the biggest films just because of whatever reason, something not working or, you know, and it's, more often than not out of, out of their hands. (laughs) Right. Right. It's like, like, they're getting gave me something that's like unworkable. Um, at the same time with the
2: jigsaw puzzle, what do I do with this? Exactly.
1: At the same time, it's never ever a good idea to blame the footage, you know? Yeah. 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 In in the room. And and I think that's also a good practice (laughs) is like, as an editor, you have to be kind of a therapist and soothsayer. Um, (laughs) In the room that's to be like, that's a tough well, skill to cultivate. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, I think everyone has their different approach to that part of the job mm-hmm, of just mm-hmm. being the the voice in the room that says everything's going to be okay, even when it's not. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so I think there's. Sort of an, an obvious element, which is, like, if you're working on a group project and something looks bad, like, everyone has a little bit of a hand in that. But I'm curious if you can go a little further into what you mean when you say, like, when you see a bad edit, it suggests that the problem is kind of bigger than that.
1: When you see a bad edit, it means you're taken out of the story for whatever reason, right? You're like, mm-hmm. why are you cutting there? Or, like, what what happened that you have to cut to all these bad moments? Or, you know, something sticks out about the moment. It's a it's awry. Viewers are very astute, especially nowadays, where it's like, when something doesn't work, you feel it, like, right away in your gut, even if you don't know what's happening that's, like, making you feel that way. And at the essence of it, it's because the character or the story is being compromised because of the filmmaking Mm -hmm. being bad for whatever reason. And, for instance, it could be bad acting. Like, why, why is, like, the acting so weird in this moment? Or, like it could be why did they cut the action this way like mm-hmm. why why are we cutting to this super wide angle when it doesn't make sense to do that it's because like filmmaking balances so many different things going on at once and mm-hmm. so when a movie is good it's actually a true miracle <laughs> like mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a real miracle when anything's actually good yeah and um i think that's what's happening when you see a bad edit is that something went wrong, either one shot or a couple shots or that whole day of shooting, something went wrong that, or like the entire production that, you know, maybe like the actor who was supposed to be there didn't show up. And so they just grabbed an extra to like do this line and now it's bad. Or like the star was in a really bad mood for whatever reason. So Mm -hmm. they just didn't give their best performance or they just didn't know the lines they're just repeating the same lines but doing the wrong movement as they're doing the lines or like the continuity is weird like someone showed me a clip of some tv show where two characters are having a conversation and the guy on the bed is sitting down and he keeps picking up his left shoe and putting it on the (laughs) shoe across different lines like that's amazing to me where the <laughs> continuity of the action is like crazy and you could say that's a bad edit, but it's really like a lot of other things that are bad yeah. that came with the edit yeah. to make it that way. Yeah. All sorts of reasons <laughs> why there's bad edits, I think. Yeah. And uh I think for the most part it's thought through and decided by the powers that be that this is the only way.
3: <laughs> yeah
1: uh before anyone puts anything out so yeah i have a lot of sympathy (laughs) (laughs) yeah
2: this has been so so wonderful thank you so so much again for coming on our show
1: yeah thanks for having me karen this is like so awesome and i i love your writing i'm such a fan of you oh thank you
0: Karen, that was such a fun conversation. I She's partic- so
3: cool. <laughs> She's so
0: cool. You're just like, that's a cool person. You can just yep. tell. The second yep. she starts talking, you're like, you're cool. I particularly loved that Stacey highlights that collaboration often happens within hierarchies. Like, we mm-hmm. always talk about it like it's between equals. But actually, in most of our workplaces, that's not true. Collaboration is happening in a hierarchy, even if we don't want to mm-hmm. admit it. And actually being clear about that hierarchy can really sometimes foster collaboration. You know, that's not the same thing as you always do what your boss tells you to do, but just knowing who the boss is and who's responsible for what can really actually make collaboration easier.
2: Yeah, I feel like we've sort of talked about this idea on the show before, but this conversation, I think, is maybe the most kind of crystallized or clear version of that, Mm -hmm. where it's really like any other group project setting where you have to learn to be mindful of other people's feelings and how to express your opinions without coming off as pushy or otherwise mean and also sort of know what your role in the bigger machine is. Um, It's sort of like... Thinking about an assembly line, like everyone has a different responsibility to the final product and you're not necessarily going to have a say in every single one or what the overall product is, maybe to the degree that you'd want, but you sort of have to reckon with that yourself.
0: Yeah, totally. And you know, sometimes it's uncomfortable, right? Sometimes you're lower mm-hmm. on that hierarchy. I mean, I I've talked to people who, you know, work with editors and and often you're leaning on the editor to tell you the truth about something that's not working, which is an uncomfortable thing when you it's have to really tell your boss. It's really hard to do that. Yeah. yeah. This thing you're telling me to do is a bad idea and I'm going to explain <laughs> why. That's that's like a hard thing to do, you know. And and part of that's because, you know, something that happens every time I have a conversation with anyone about it. Editing is writing. It is directing. It is Staging, Mm -hmm. even though you're manipulating the end results of those things, like the way she talked about looping the silence in the Hot Dog Man sketch, right? Those pauses in the sketch are much longer than they were on the actual set, but they do that to make it more awkward, you Mm -hmm. know. And that's the complete Mm -hmm. opposite of the rehearsal, where Nathan Fielder wants it to feel as real as possible, as unmediated as possible. Mm -hmm. I'm just not sure. What other professions except except maybe Cameron listening in on this and editing it later? Like, I'm not sure what other professions really do that or where that's true. It seems almost unique to me. Yeah. She also really highlighted this thing that I've thought about quite a bit over the years. And I don't know if you have too. So I just want to. You know, sometimes in nonfiction, something is such a wild coincidence, or maybe actually the way you've captured it is so well crafted (laughs) that people start to think it's not true. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. think about how many times that interview she had to say the people in the rehearsal were real people. That wasn't Mm -hmm. scripted because the show is so well crafted and so much about what is true and what is not true that you begin to wonder, like, are all these people plants, you know? Um, And I was just wondering if you've ever confronted that. And, you know, maybe like in telling the stories of Bong Joon-ho's career or whatever, is there your version of anti-Semite Angela turning out to have <laughs> Mel Gibson as her favorite filmmaker Yeah, that
2: moment was so crazy and I understand like why she feels the need to keep saying that because that was so much of the conversation around the show where people started to be like, there's no way that this is unscripted. There's no way that this isn't manufactured in some way. And it is, of course, manufactured a little bit, but not in the way that some of the, I guess, quote unquote, non-believers
0: yeah, the <laughs> truthers, that it was. Truthers, rehearsal truthers.
2: Yeah. Um, that said, I don't think I've ever really had to deal with that yet, luckily, because I don't know what I would do in those <laughs> circumstances. Like a moment, if a moment like that is so perfect, then you don't want to take it out, you know?
0: Yeah, it's hard. It's like you have to decide, like, is this gleaming crystal? swan going to destroy the the, everything else that i built around Uh, it or something i don't know but
2: it's so funny like especially a lot of the things that have happened with the previous presidential administration and it's fallout like everyone's been like this is so on the nose if i were writing a movie i would never do this and it's like it's real life like it happened like this
0: real life is often on the nose i mean uh, did you ever do storytelling events like did you ever do a thing where you got in front of a mic and told a true story of your life to like a crowd of people at a bar or whatever? um
2: i did ask cat yeah yeah okay yeah but
0: not yeah so i used to do there was a short-lived period of time when i got my mfa and i was like i'm gonna be a storyteller that's what i'm <laughs> gonna do and what i learned was that i worked so hard on crafting the writing of the story that i was going to deliver mm-hmm. that people didn't Believe that they were authentic Mm. or true or real. And I actually went on a storytelling show where the gimmick is that one of the people is lying in their story. And my story was 100% true and everyone thought I was lying. Wow. And a friend of mine who's quite good at that kind of stuff was in the audience that night. And he said, Yeah, you fucked up because you prepared too much. He's like, When I do these Mm. events, I pretend to stumble over my words and i i actually like work in fake roughness because people need That's that to so believe wild. it's true and it just blew my mind yeah. It really like i understood nonfiction on a new level after bombing at that event <laughs> and speaking of bombing I loved your conversation about bad edits Mm -hmm. and it immediately made me go look up my favorite bad edit, which is that scene where Aiden Gillen enters Bohemian Rhapsody as John Reed. Do you know the one I'm talking about? They they circulated it on Twitter and it's a scene where you see like
2: like a legendary example of bad editing.
0: Yeah. So like the two scenes that I think people leap to immediately with bad editing are that one and the basketball scene from Catwoman. But if you haven't seen the Bohemian Rhapsody one, it's just Aiden Gillen enters and he sits down at a table and he starts talking. But every time anyone does anything, it cuts to a reaction shot of Mm -hmm. every single other person in the scene. And um, while I was Googling it, because I wanted to joke to you about it. I found an interview where someone asked the editor about it, mm-hmm. like a video podcast where he asked the editor about it. And he, the second they mentioned it, he was furious. Like you could see oh. how angry he was. And what he said was there were a lot of cooks in the kitchen, right? They were trying to change the pacing of act one of the movie. It was all very last minute. And he just didn't have enough time to go back through that one scene and fix it. And he knows it's not good, you know, but the rest of the movie is he won an Oscar for it. He's proud of, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it just it it really drove home that thing that Stacy was saying that like when you see a bad edit, it is often because there's some other completely different thing that has nothing to do with the editor's job. And they're just trying to work around it.
2: Yeah, it's like you get hired to do a job and then none of the tools to properly do it.
0: <laughs> totally. Yeah, I was I did love your conversation about bad editing. And I like, of course, editors are as obsessed with clips, badly edited things. As we are. But
2: yeah, like once you start working in a field, it's much harder to like disengage with it, I guess. Mm -hmm. Like I remember like when I first started doing film criticism, for instance, like it was a lot harder to turn off that part of my brain that was like thinking about what I would say about it. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, like I sort of knew that a movie was good or that I was doing what I was supposed to when I didn't have to tell myself to turn it off when I was just so engaged with it. Like that was when I was like, oh, yeah, it's really good. I don't have to worry about it.
0: You know, I went to a press screening of Parasite and I didn't write down a single note because yeah, I was just so enraptured fucking, yeah. by it. I was just so enraptured. And then as soon as it was over, I wrote down a bunch of stuff, right? Yeah. But like, I just didn't want to look away from the screen because actually it's a lot of it's in the editing of that movie.
2: Yeah, Yang jin Mo is a genius. He's so good.
0: Yeah, so I, I do, you know, and one of the reasons why I love that movie so much is that like, oh yeah, you totally defeated the critic part of my brain. Like, <laughs> I just I just yeah. wanted to watch it. All I wanted was more. I didn't want anything else. yeah. That does bring me to, you know, one of the things she talks about is that if editing's really great, you shouldn't notice it, right? Yeah. And I remember the an editor that I interviewed, I think, last year said exactly the same thing. And editors I've talked to, I mean, sometimes you notice it on purpose. It's purposely you're supposed to notice it, like, you know, Thelma Schumacher or whatever, but, yeah. you know, in Raging Bull. But most of the time, like, yeah, it should be invisible, but then, like, you're a critic you're writing about movies do you try to pay attention to the editing while watching or is it like when you revisit the film you might be like i'm gonna think about the editing this time or like what is your experience of watching and, and interfacing with editing in general
2: i think it's sort of part and parcel with the whole movie again because there's so many things and parts that go into a movie so you don't want to try to focus on just one thing when you're watching it especially from a criticism angle unless your essay is literally like about the editing of X movie. Um, That said, I tend to agree with the philosophy that good editing is invisible. But of course, there's sometimes where, like you said, like something is so well edited that you do notice or it's supposed to be kind of a sequence. So you're forced to kind of pay attention to it in that respect. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, it's almost like watching someone like nail putting together a puzzle or a Rubik's Cube, just being so, so good at putting this very, very hard thing together. It's just really fun And really delightful. And I mean, this sort of repeats what I was saying in my previous answer, but I wouldn't say editing is the main thing that I pay attention to while watching a movie because there's so many moving parts, but it's certainly a key ingredient. And ultimately, the experience that you want to have that would quantify a good review is to not think about any of that stuff at all.
0: Yeah, totally, totally. Well, we hope you've enjoyed this week's show. If you have, remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and then you will never miss an episode. And yes, one final reminder to join Slate Plus. If you join, you'll get ad-free podcasts, extra segments of shows like The Waves and Culture Gab Fest, and you'll never hit a paywall on the Slate site. To learn more, go to slate.com workingplus
2: Special thanks to our guest this week, Stacey Moon, and to the person whose edits make us sound brilliant, Cameron Drews. We'll be back next week with Isaac's conversation with Shanta Thake, the chief artistic officer of Lincoln Center. Until then, get back to work.